Well, good morning. How are y'all today? Good, good. We're glad that you're here. We're missing our ladies, and so if you guys want to scoot in and move up, you can do it. And um, I'm proud of you guys that are here. Your wives are gone, and uh, you've shown up anyway, so I'm glad that you're here with us today. Um, I'm going to be teaching today, and, and if you're in Kidmo, Kidmo's staying in with us today. This is on the, our, any month that we have five Sundays in the month, then Kidmo stays in here with us. So I feel like this room is very quiet. Are you guys alive in here? Okay, two of you are, the rest of you are not. Are you, are you sure? Are you guys awake and alive? Okay, so four more people are. That's very exciting today. If you need to go grab some coffee, you can do that. Uh, you can go grab some and keep you going. So today I'm going to be talking about uh, a topic I've not taught on ever. Uh, I've mentioned, but in, I don't know, the 20 years or so I've been teaching, I have not taught on this because this is a tough one, but it's something I thought was important for us to go through as we're talking about love. Um, I do want to just let you know about a couple of things that you can be praying for. Uh, there's a couple of people have lost some loved ones in our uh, extended church family this weekend, and if some of you who have been here for a while know, remember that the the pains that came here for many years or for a while, and and Mrs. Payne, who was always a faithful um, attender, she couldn't hear anything. So you know, we I always say, "Is the worship too loud?" And she's like, "No, what?" You know, it's she was so much fun, um, but she she passed away this week. Scott's going to be preaching that funeral today, so be praying for that family and for Scott as he's he's comforting and preaching that funeral today as well. Many of you know Wanda Brown and her father who's been struggling with cancer. He passed away last night, um, so be in prayer for them. And then. Uh, For my family, my dad's sister passed away um, last night as well. So um, be be in prayer for those families as um, as all are dealing with loss um, today. Let's go ahead and open the word of prayer and then we'll get started. Father, God, we do thank you for the comfort that you give us and the reality that we do not just live our lives here in this place, but this is just a staging ground for something so much better and something that we will be with you forever. Father, I thank you for uh, those that have lived lives following you and can, can spend all of eternity with you, and their suffering, their pain, their hardship here on this earth is gone. Father, we do pray for all those that are here, and uh, those that are here to, to not only grow in what it looks like to love, but grow in, in what it looks like to love you. And I pray that in our worship, and in our giving, and, and uh, in the preaching of your word, that we would honor you, and that we would grow closer to you. Be with our ladies while they're away. We do pray that you would bring them home safely and that they are having a a great time in building relationships with each other, but also growing in their faith. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I've already gotten a little on the hot seat um, for the ladies going shopping. I have no control over that uh, or what's happening. I think what stays in Pigeon Forge or happens in Pigeon Forge stays in Pigeon Forge. That's what I've heard, but uh, we'll find out when, when they get back. So, Anyways, what we're going to be talking about today is a little part of Scripture that Jesus teaches that none of us likes, that no one in this room woke up this morning thinking, this is exactly the way I want to live my life, and yet we cannot escape the fact that Jesus teaches consistently in this direction, not that we will do certain things in order to please Him, but that when we know Him, and he has transformed us, it will change the way that we love. That passage we're going to be looking at is in Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to be skipping kind of through the whole chapter, but specifically it is on his instruction that we will love our enemies. Now the reason I'm not taught on this is because for many years I didn't understand it. I just thought, well, that's just one of those things that I'm going to have to be covered by grace, amen? I mean, God's just going to have to give me a pass on this because there's some terrible people out there. And some of you do life with those people all the time, right? We see them on TV, we see them on the news, and the truth is is that we are often struggling to have positive things to think about certain people. Whenever you're growing up and you're in school, it's always the bully, right? We've all, we all have bullies, and you want to say, we teach our kids, you know what, when you grow up, the bullying stops. Well, it doesn't, though, does it? There's always somebody that tries to enforce their will on you, despite whether it's good for you or not, and you struggle with that. 
And the truth is, is that throughout our lives, if you do watch TV, if you're familiar with the news, if you watch any at all or listen to it on the radio, then you are presented with a whole host of people every day that are supposed to be your enemies and that you are supposed to do everything you can to hurt them because their goal is to hurt you. And so much of what we hear in the news, it just continually leads us in that direction. We we watch things, these atrocities that are happening, we, we, we hear, and though I don't know anyone in this room has personally witnessed, but we, we hear of these stories of children that are being shot in schools, and we look at the people that would do such an atrocity, and we think, gosh, there is evil in this world. And it's easy to put them in the category of our enemy. And whenever we have an enemy whether it's somebody that we see from afar or someone that we may share a cubicle with at work, we have a tendency to not wish them well and to not think about how can I love you, but instead we at best try to ignore them and at worst try to pay them back. And Jesus constantly teaches us that we are supposed to love others no matter who they are, no matter what's going on in their lives. And so my goal today is not to give you a guilt trip and say you should have no enemies, and if you do, you should love them all. That is not my point. That was not Jesus' point. It's also not my goal to share with you a three-step plan that you won't be affected negatively by anyone else's actions. You'll just let it roll off your back, and it won't bother you anymore. I, I would like to give you that, and maybe those three points are out there. I've not found them in my own life, so I can't share them with you. Yet, and I haven't found them in Scripture either, other than what I'm going to share with you today. If we're going to understand Jesus' teaching on loving our enemies, we can't just start with that passage. We can't just start with those verses. Because if we just look at those verses, then we will come to that conclusion. I just got to try, I just got to do better. I mean, I just got to be, be a better person. And, and maybe I'll honor God in, in trying harder to do that. And If we're going to look at some other way of understanding this passage than that, then we're going to have to look at more Scripture than just those few verses. So we're going to start in Matthew chapter 28. You don't have to flip there if you've got your Bible. If you're following on version, all these are there in your notes. Matthew 28 gives us Jesus' desire for our relationship with the world and what He wants within the world. All right, So we have to come back, look at the big picture about what is Jesus really wanting for the world. And it says, Jesus came and said to them, his disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go and make disciples of all nations except for Syria and Pakistan and Afghanistan and Iraq and Iran and North Korea. And Does your version not have that? Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Okay. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so I just want us to begin with a collective understanding that God's desire is that all people, no matter who they are or where they are, no matter what atrocities they have committed, God's desire is that all people would know him, would recognize the brokenness in their lives, would repent of their sin, would receive him, be regenerated, be redeemed, be justified, be sanctified, all the wonderful big church words, That's what God wants for all of us, all of humanity, to be one big happy family. That's what God wants. Now, there are some people who have said, well, God gets whatever God wants. So if God really wanted that, he would just snap his fingers and he would make it happen. But that's not the way God works. God doesn't want to force us into that. God wants us to choose that. And in fact, we have looked over the last year that one of the ways God does that, the primary way God does that, It's through the Holy Spirit drawing us, and then an example of the gospel that they can see with hearing the gospel in in its correct way of being presented all works together to lead a person to repentance and experiencing Christ. That is what Jesus wants. Now, the reason I say we need to start here is because in our minds, there are some people that are deserving of hell, right? They are so bad that in the back of our minds, we would never say this, but in the back of our minds, we're kind of thinking, I really hope they don't ever get saved. I really wish that they would just go to hell. 
And whenever we sometimes hear these people who have often been very much against the Christian message all of a sudden have a life-transforming experience with him and begin to talk about their faith, many times we will even look at those, and we may not call them our enemies, but we will doubt that conversion. Right? Now, all of this is embedded within every one of us. So if you're thinking, yeah, I know who you're talking about, and those are bad Christians. It's embedded within every one of us to respond to the world and injustice and evil in this way because we respond in the sense that whatever is given must be taken, and whatever is taken must be given. And if you have done something wrong, then you should be punished. If I've done something wrong, I think I'm open to forgiveness. But if you do something wrong, you should be punished. Again, these are things we don't say, but within us, these, these thoughts dwell, they ruminate, and many of us could agree that this is a way that I think. I, Deidre and I will sometimes talk about these terrible things that happen, especially that, that pertains to children, and we just think, oh, evil is alive in this world. And it is very hard in those circumstances not to be angry, not to want justice, to want to make sure this never happens again. And you have a whole list of people that will tell you, well, this is how you do it. But Jesus is constantly trying to teach us, if we're going to follow him, the way we look at the world must be different. So let's just go through here. A couple of things to begin with. Jesus wants all people to know him. Can we agree with that? Jesus wants all people to know him. All is all, right? All is not some. All is all. Jesus wants all people to know him. And also, if that would be true, God doesn't want us to be in conflict with each other. So if Jesus wants all people to know him, also Jesus doesn't want any of us to be enemies. But yet, this is the world that you and I live. Let's look at Matthew chapter 5. And if we look at, this is the Sermon on the Mount, and it will completely mess up your understanding of walking with Jesus um, if you take it seriously. If you think, I've got this thing covered, I've got the Ten Commandments down, I've read through the Gospels, I have, I'm reading through Paul's epistles, I mean, I get that Jesus is coming again, I have got this, then you just need to go through the Sermon on the Mount very slowly, verse by verse, and it will wreck your world. Because what Jesus is trying to get his followers to see is that If you're going to follow me, you have to radically change everything that you understand about the world and how to live in it. So let's just look at Matthew chapter 5, begin with verse 1. These are the Beatitudes. It begins with the Beatitudes. It says, seeing the crowds, which I think is really kind of great, because when he's seeing the crowds, you know, when we see crowds, and like it's absolutely over packed over full in here, I'm thinking... Do not say anything to screw this up, right? That, you don't think that way, but pastors think that way. Okay, we got a big crowd today. Okay, do we have any controversial topics? Let's just not cover those. Of course, we often go in the opposite direction um, in that way, but Jesus in seeing the crowds always went in the opposite direction of that. It's crazy how much Jesus' ministry flies in the face of the way we think of ministry today because he wanted people to be confronted with what was real and what was true and not just something they wanted to hear. And so this is where the Beatitudes come in. Seeing the crowds, he went up on a mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted. For righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, I have never said, Jesus, thank you for the persecution. 
Now, in a minute, we'll talk about persecution, and the truth is I've never truly experienced persecution, and probably most of you in this room, I know some of you have, most of you in this room have not. I've never truly experienced persecution. I've never been threatened at the end of any kind of weapon to renounce my faith. I, I've never been told I couldn't have a job because of my faith. I've never had my livelihood or my income stripped away because of my faith. I, I've never had my children drug out of the house and had terrible things done to them. I've never had terrible things done to me. I, in my mind, some of the most terrible things are when I've got to go to Walmart. Amen? That feels like persecution, one of the worst experiences I have all week, and I'll do everything I can to avoid that place. But persecution, that's not something that I, I really deal with. And most of us, and you all don't like Walmart either, so why do you shop there? That's a good capitalistic market question right there. If we all hate it, why do we... Anyways, okay, that's not why we're here. That is not why we're here. Go to Target. Go to Target, it's a much better experience. But then you don't know where to go to the bathroom. At Target, anyways, whole nother question, whole nother discussion. We'll talk about that later, all right? But what Jesus is doing over and over here is he's trying to say the things that the world values and the things that I value are not the same, even when we think they are good values, we think a life of ease and comfort is good. Amen? I do. I like it. I like it when I have a day off and I don't have anything to do and I can just rest and relax and be comfortable. I love it. But that's not necessarily what Jesus says is good. So as we go through here, the reason I want us to look at Matthew chapter 5 is because he then goes through and gives several big picture topics of the way we think something ought to be, but yet the way Jesus says it really ought to be. So I just want you to see these, and, and I'm not going to read all of this because we don't have time. I just want you to see some of the big you know, items that he's talking about through this sermon. So in, in Matthew 5, verse 13, this is where we read that you are the salt of the earth. In Matthew 5, 14, it says you are the light of the world. So you have a role in the world to bring flavor and light into a place that does not have flavor and is in the dark. You have a role to play. If we go on in verse, uh, verse 17, I do want you to see these. It talks about Jesus coming to fulfill the law, not to abolish the law. And in our circles today, we often listen to people that will say, well, you know, now that Jesus is here, the law doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how you live. It doesn't matter what you do. You know, as long as you say Jesus is your Savior, it's like, you know, a free card, free get out of jail or get out of hell or wherever, and you can just do whatever. But that is not what Jesus teaches. He says what we, what we do, it really matters. He says, don't think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Truly I say to you, until heaven and earth and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass away from the law until all is accomplished. In other words, when we try to read in Scripture about the, the instructions of God and say, you know, but I don't want to be legalistic. Well, you know what? Sometimes Jesus wants us to be legalistic, right? But legalistic in the way we use it in our own lives, not when we impose it on others. So there's a difference there. Therefore, whoever relaxes, one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, what he's saying here, and the reason that the scribes and the Pharisees are important, and why it's important for us today, is because it is very easy to live in this world today as scribes and Pharisees. In fact, I'm convinced that many within the church live in this way, thinking that they know Christ and yet missing the power of God within them. And when they ask those questions, why am I not experiencing the power of God within me? It's because you don't necessarily know Christ. The scribes and the Pharisees thought they had it sewed up. And what the scribes, and we're going to come back to this in a minute, but what the scribes and the Pharisees did, they constantly would act in ways that would get them noticed for doing good things, but yet their hearts were a mess, and they were far from God. 
So what he's saying is, as we, and this is important as we get into this list, and especially when we start talking about loving your enemies, it is not about just doing something to be approved. The, the scribes and the Pharisees did that. You have to go beyond that in fulfilling the purpose of the law, not just the little pieces of it. And that's why Jesus says, I have come to show you what it looks like to fulfill the purpose of the law. So then we go into this next one, and I don't want to step on any toes, but listen, we're going to step on some toes today. I've stepped on my toes all week thinking about this, so you just get your toes ready. We jump down to verse 21, and we talk about anger. It says, you have heard it was said of those of old, you shall not commit murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. What? I sometimes like being angry. You know, Jesus was angry, wasn't he? Right? He threw, he overturned the tables in the temple, and he was whipping people with a whip. I mean, I've not done that yet. I thought about it. I haven't done it yet. But he says, you know, you have heard and you think. That you should only stay away from the very extreme result of anger, which is murder. But what Jesus is saying is, even within your heart, if you do not guard it, it is just as bad. Because our hearts matter. Our hearts matter way more than our actions. Again, we'll come back to that in a minute. We go down to verse 27, we talk about lust. Woo! Fun stuff for Kidmo to be in here today. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman, or let's be honest, a man, with lustful intent, has already committed adultery with her in his or her heart. It's very easy to say, you know, I don't, not had an affair, I'm not cheated. I've done something I'm not supposed to do, but has your heart had an affair? Do you keep going to those same sites, keep looking at that same person who dresses that certain way at work? Boy, they really work out. I'm just admiring their muscles, sort of. All right? Y'all feeling some, I'm feeling some guilt coming in this room here right now. I'm not trying to make you feel guilty or call out you that are laughing, but you know what I'm talking about. But again, Jesus says, you say it's all about one act, but I'm telling you within your heart, if you act in this way, then it is the same thing. It keeps going. Verse 31 Talking about divorce, it says, It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Now you may be going, what in the world are you talking about? Whenever we look through Scripture, what we find is that a divorce was not the goal in the beginning, but yet God gave that as an opportunity Whenever things were going so poorly in relationship, especially in the area of adultery. But what ended up happening is, in this patriarchal society where women couldn't get jobs, couldn't provide a way to, to take care of themselves, this is where we see the whole kinsman redeemer. Why this is all in the Old Testament to begin with is because when a woman lost her husband, she lost her ability to live. And guys were like, you know what, I'm trading, I'm trading down for a younger model every couple of years here. And so they were just marrying and getting rid of their wives all the time. Well, the law says I can do this. And what Jesus is saying is this is a, this is a heart issue. This is not a legalism, a legalism issue. So we back up a little bit in verse 33, we start talking about oaths. And what are we promising? It says, again, you have heard it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. 
Let what you say simply be yes or no. Anything more than that comes from evil. So you've heard it said you shouldn't make a promise that you don't really mean. And what Jesus is saying is, no, you shouldn't make an oath at all because you're not in control of any of this stuff. You don't even have the power to to create an oath. He's constantly trying to change the way we view our hearts and our actions, whereas in our world, our actions are how we are judged. But in Christ, it is our hearts that are judged. So as he's coming through, he's trying to help the, his, his audience here, his disciples and then those that were around. He was trying to help them to see whenever you are going to follow Christ, it should transform even the way that you see and live within the world. It should change your hearts and not just add a bunch of actions to your life. We start getting a little closer to our intended topic for today in verse 38 talking about retaliating you have heard that it was said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth but i say to you do not resist the one who is evil Ooh, i hate this verse i hate it but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek turn to him the other also oh if anyone would sue you and take your tunic let him have your cloak as well If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. This is when Jesus really starts to turn inward. And he starts to make us face something about ourselves that we do not want to face. And that is that if we're going to follow Jesus, he has a bigger plan in mind than you living a life without being taken advantage of, without you being stolen from, without you being persecuted, without you experiencing hardship or trauma. God has something bigger than all those things in mind for you, and they may even be the catalyst that brings them about. As we look at this, and as we get into our section that we really want to talk about today what we i hope you see is that jesus is saying you have to see the world differently you cannot be the judge of the world you cannot be the center of the world you cannot make the world and through your eyes look like it revolves around you there is a bigger picture we are simply following jesus and we are trying to bring about what we've already read in matthew 28 what he's wanting to see within the world and that is that all people will know him all people will experience relationship in God's family. That's what he wants. And that's what he's working within your life in a broken world that doesn't know how to do any better. And when we engage in the, in the world in the way that they do, do we point them to something different in Christ or are we simply sinking down and living life the exact same way they are? See, if we're going to be different... Different really does look different. It's just not the way we dress. It's not the stickers we put on our car. It's not the language that we use. I mean, we really have to be different. Now, when I say something like that, I, I kind of bring myself, I make myself feel guilty, and you probably feel guilty, and because I know there are things within me that I know I, I should be doing a better job on, and there's probably things in you you know you should be doing a better job on. And so when we look at these things, what I want you to be careful about is that none of these are supposed to come about simply by your act of your will. But that's usually the way that we preach these sermons. You need to do better. You need to love more. You need to stop doing this. You need to be a better that. And we leave, and sometimes we leave inspired and thinking, yes, I am going to do better. Many times we leave thinking, this is all I got. I don't know that I've got any more to give. At this point, Jesus says, you have heard it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That's not in Scripture anywhere that was never said by anybody but that's something they're saying so it has become a saying among them that you should love your neighbor and hate your enemy but what does scripture really say just shout it out what does it really say yeah love your neighbor as yourself love your neighbor that was it and somehow because we have this mindset of those we will reward and those we will punish that we will love some and who are our neighbors 
They're the people that like us, right? In our minds, our neighbors are the people that like us. They're the people that say good things about us. They're the people that we enjoy being around. But everybody else, we can hate them. Now, I doubt there's anyone in this room who sets out to hate anyone. But within the depravity of the human heart, hate is a very easy place to go. We can go there quickly. We can go there harshly. You have heard it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Oh. God, please let them experience karma. I know karma's not real. Some of you are like, karma's not real. That's not a Christian thing. I know that, but you know what I mean. God, please let them fail. God, bring them back to you by letting them lose everything in their lives and become so much of a miserable wretch of a person that they are just so sorry what they've done to me. And But they turn to you, oh dear God, and they find you and they apologize to me. That's not what he means. But that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying you got to like, here, I'll come back to this in a minute, but... <laughs> Literally, the people that you can't stand, you're supposed to ask God to bless them. God, do good things for them. That person who's trying to get you fired, you're supposed to pray that God will bless them. (laughs) That'll mess up your world. In Jesus' context, that group that's planning to capture, torture, crucify him, he's supposed to love them. And pray for them. And what's so interesting is, is that Jesus, time and time again, in these types of things, shows us what it looks like through his own life and through his own experiences. Because Jesus had enemies. We'll come back to that in just a second. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust, which is another interesting thing. Literally saying, God is working in this world somewhat neutrally in blessing everybody, the good and the bad, the, you know, the righteous and the evil. Which In this particular one, you've got two farmers and one is following God and one is cheating everybody he comes in contact with and yet God sends rain on both of their farms so that they each can grow god doesn't make those judgments in fact he teaches us later in this summer we're going to be looking at some parables he says you know it's we've got to let the wheat and the chaff grow together and i'll work it out later but right now you just kind of got to coexist and the point is not that they are receiving some great benefit from our love many times the love that we share for others is all about how it transforms us inside. Because think about that person you can't stand. I mean, get a picture. I don't know who it is. You get a picture. And maybe it's not a specific person. Maybe it's a type of person, you know? <laughs> and you, every time you run into this type of person, you just, you, know, you just get all worked up. Does it feel good thinking about them? Do you feel inspired to go out and do things in the world thinking about them? Do you feel more loving thinking about them? Sometimes what he's calling us to do is not necessarily that they are going to just go, oh, they love me. I've persecuted them and they love me. Instead, it's very much a way for you to experience Christ more fully and experience what it looks like to really love Verse 46 says, if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? I mean, they already love you. You already enjoy being around them. I mean, we do really love being around the people that love us. We do. And we really can't stand being around the people that don't like us. But he says, do not even the tax collectors do the same? They love the people that love them. And if you greet only your brothers... 
What more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Literally what he's talking about is like, you see you're at work and you're walking to the break room and you see that certain someone or someone's going into the break room and you decide, I'm taking my break in another 30 minutes. I'm not going in there. You're talking about greeting. It's when you're going down the hall and it happens at church too, doesn't it? You see somebody and you're like, ooh, I didn't see that. I didn't see them. I'm not going to talk to them today. Sometimes it happens at family reunions. We've seen within our, our past, we've seen some great fireworks at family reunions. It's like, bring your popcorn. We're going to watch a show today. It is going to be amazing. How do you greet others? Do you have favorites? He's saying be different. Verse 48 says, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And in talking about perfection in Scripture, per, the word perfect never means without error or flaw when it, we're talking about us. Perfect always means whole and complete. Because you will not be perfect without error or flaw until we're in heaven with Christ. But this is how you reach wholeness and completeness is by embracing these very things. And so when we read this, it's very easy to just think, well, gosh, I, I just don't know if I can do this. And I don't know, that maybe I'm not a good Christian because I can't do this. Or, or maybe if this is what God really wants from me, I'm just not willing to do this. And we think about all of these things, I do think because of the world that you, you and I live in in America, we, we do have to talk a little bit about who our enemies are. So sometimes those enemies are easy to find. I've thrown some pictures up. It's easy to pick an enemy out, right? Of course, he's kind of our friend now, right? I don't know what's happening this week. <laughs> I didn't know the Korean War was still going on. Did you? I knew, my, my grandfather fought in the Korean War. I thought it was over, but apparently not. I don't know what's going to happen, but it's easy to say, ah, their enemy. What about an- Here's another one. Oh, it's our enemy, right? And the next one. Oh, that's definitely our enemy. We need to wipe them out. We need to kill them. We need to torture them as much as they torture us, right? Maybe, th- maybe these are not the place where most of us live, although some of you may be very focused on these types of enemies around you. If you listen to the news, you certainly are focused on those because these are the ones you're supposed to be afraid of. And fear is always used to make money because then you will pay for those who want that money to keep you safe. It's how our world works. It's how our government works. It's really, well, another conversation. Fear drives money into a lot of pockets. And Jesus is saying, don't live a life of fear. There's no benefit in that. But when we get closer to home in our own world, maybe this is closer to our enemies. Oh, everybody's quiet because nobody wants to know. Nobody wants to know which side this one you're on, right? What about this next one? If that's not you, what about that one? That's your enemy, right? Okay, maybe that's not your issue. What's the next one? Oh, my enemy. We love to make fun of the Trump. But maybe he's not your enemy. Maybe this one is. Maybe that's your enemy. And you just think of all the bad things that should happen to that person, right? Or the person before. Maybe you really didn't care because you didn't vote for any of these. I mean, you didn't want either one of them to be in office. You voted for somebody else and they didn't make it in. But still, maybe this next one. What kind of feeling does that bring up in you? Or the following. Now, some of you have already said, now, I know which one Mark's put first, so I know which one Mark is. It's <laughs> exactly what I'm talking about. How easily, how easily we move in this direction of hating others, right? Okay, maybe that's not your issue. Keep going. That one or that one, all right? Don't these images bring up feelings in most of you? 
And then most of, and, and I'll be honest, this is extra. You, don't, you didn't pay for this part. You didn't pay for the other part either, but we haven't done the offering yet. That doesn't make sense either. But anyways, <laughs> this is exactly what they want. They want you to hate the other because it drives you to them. All right, that's so, I've got so many rabbit holes we could go down today. Okay, so maybe that's not your issue. Maybe this one is. Oh, we hate that. Hate it. And it, it, can it be said that all of Christ, Christianity has shown love in this area? All right, what about the next one? Maybe you hate that, the traditional look of the church. Because they're all mean and legalistic, hateful. See, it's so easy for us to fall into hate. And, and sometimes it has nothing to do with these pictures. Sometimes we don't, can't even see beyond the lives we're living every day. Maybe this is the, the picture that you're struggling with. Next one. Maybe it's your coworker who wants your job. That's your enemy. Or the one who's constantly not giving you credit for your work and taking credit for your work. That one that's constantly talking about you behind your back. You can't stand that coworker. Every time you see him, you just think, I'm going to quit or I'm going to get them fired. Maybe it's even closer than this. Sometimes our enemy is our spouse because they're not meeting our needs. They're not making us feel loved. So over time, we get angrier and angrier and angrier, and then we try to push back and we try to hurt in the way we've been hurt. Sometimes it's not our spouse. Sometimes, next one, it's our kids. Don't they sometimes feel like the enemy? Every time you want a nap, they do. I'm going to tell you that straight up. My kids were my enemy yesterday. Some of them are in the room today. I sent them to their room. I was like, I can't take a nap. That's a woman, but that could have been me. I was sitting there trying to take a nap. I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to kill these children. I'm going to kill them. Can't preach tomorrow. And then sometimes it's nothing, not one of these. Sometimes the real enemy is this next one. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Praise the Lord. Sorry, Heath. <laughs> no, it's not Alabama. It's the next one. Ah. Well, we love to hate some people. We love to hate some people. Did I have one more in there? Okay. I, I was... Well, yeah, what's that? The mirror. the mirror. Oh, we're getting there. We're getting to the mirror. I thought, well, I should have put one up of Thanos for those of you who are Marvel fans and are been traumatized. I've already seen Avenger movie. I should have put Thanos up there, but I didn't think about it until it was too late. Ah! That, do, that doesn't give anything away. If you've, if you've seen a single trailer, then anyway. All right. Don't watch those either. All right. Well, listen, I'm going to tell you the, the, how it ends here in just a minute. Because see, then you'll hate me. That's how quickly and easily we do it. That's how it happens. That's how it happens. The truth is, when we read these things, it's kind of funny when we sit back and look at them in that way, these things that kind of are our enemies. But are these the ones that Jesus was really talking about when he said, love those who persecute you? And the truth is, those are not the people that Jesus had in mind when he started talking about those who persecute you. Do you know Open Doors, who collects lots of statistics about persecution around the world, recorded that between the years of 2005 and 2015, 900,000 Christians were killed for their faith. Ten years. 90,000 a year. Now, some people refute those numbers. Between 2015 and one year, between like September 2015, September 2016, 1,300 churches around the world were actually physically attacked. Like they were in here doing what we're doing, not near as fun, but they were in here doing what we were doing. And somebody came in to hurt them. 1,300 churches in, in a year around the world. That's persecution. Not which political party you are. Not who the president is, whether you support him or you supported someone else. 
That's what persecution is. 2016, I'm sure you heard, if you were familiar with the news at all, about the 11 Christian aid workers in Aleppo that were allowed to either recant their faith or be killed. One of those being an 11-year-old boy. And with mixed company in the room, I won't describe what was done to those people because they did not recant their faith. And they, people are still crucified today. That is persecution. That is persecution. Jesus isn't talking about a different football team. He's not talking about another political party or a news agency. He's not talking about a social issue. He's talking about people that are literally coming after you to to torture you and kill you in the most painful way possible because maybe that will dissuade other people from following in your footsteps. It does still happen today, and you and I living in America, the reason reason I, I bring up the American church as being different than the church around the world is because it is different. It is different. We don't experience these things, at least not yet. When we do experience them, I remember when I was in seminary and a gunman walked into a school where several of my classmates were at a worship service and opened fire and killed several of my fellow students when I was in seminary. I remember that. I remember walking in after it happened and talking with families and talking with kids. I remember that. It does happen. Those things do happen here, but there are very few and far between. And my guess is you did not walk in the door today thinking that might happen here. We have it very easy in our country. The fact that we don't have those experiences is one of the reasons that we don't necessarily understand some of these deeper teachings like this. It doesn't make us bad. It doesn't mean that we're not good Christians. It doesn't mean that we don't love Jesus. It means that there are people in the world that experience this on a far more raw and real level than we do. And whenever you don't experience that on a personal level, you tend to raise the expectation of what life is like where they would say they're way down here and we think down here is actually way up here i was talking with someone this week i you know the the whole 99 percent thing we haven't heard about in a while and how it's just i thought it was crazy we had the we're the 99 percent and the one percent have all this and we're going to take it from them and i just think you know but if we really look at the world we're all in the one percent so we're all upset about the, we, us being in the 99%, and yet we're still in the 1%, not concerned with the other 99% around the world. But Jesus is looking at the whole picture, the whole thing, and he sees it differently than you and I see it, which if he were to say, you just need to do better, how depressing would that be? So what does he mean by this? This is what I want to finish up with. The key to understanding how to love our enemies is understanding that we were once his enemy. Okay? The way we understand loving our enemies is understanding that God loved us when we were his enemy. And you think, Mark, I was never God's enemy. Romans 5, 6 says, For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would, have, would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Verse 10, For if while we were, what's that word? Enemies. If while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Once you understand the depth of your brokenness and that you were an enemy of God, you can experience the grace of God in its fullness. And that is an offer God wants us to give others as well even when it's uncomfortable, even when it makes us sick to our stomachs at times, we did that and received that from God. 
We have to understand our role in this place. Also, once, we're, once we understand the depth of our brokenness, you're better equipped to understand the depth of humanity's brokenness. Now, here's the thing about loving others, and I just feel like I need to say this as the caveat. That does not mean we have to agree with everybody. That doesn't mean we have to be happy with people's actions or we pretend that we don't see them. It doesn't mean that all of a sudden we've got to be best friends with everybody. It doesn't mean that you've got to spend time with everybody. All, all your free time has got to be given to anybody who wants it. I, that is not what it means to love your enemies. It doesn't mean that all of a sudden we do have to all root for Alabama, praise the Lord, or Florida, or Tennessee. I noticed I didn't put Tennessee up there, but it means we don't have to agree on all politics. The truth is that we have all come to our own political persuasions based on our backgrounds, our experience, our history, and the things that are important to us. And here's the thing I would even go so far as to say, and this is one of the things I hate about our media and our politics right now, is that you are dependent, no if you have an opinion, you already have a group of people that hate you. If you just have an opinion, I hate that about our current climate. But do you know, one of the things we're talking about in our Finding Your Place spiritual gift study right now is that even within the body of the church that was designed by Jesus or designed by God that was bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus that is empowered, organized, and led by the Holy Spirit. We are each given different gifts that make us look very different from each other and at times we don't even think the other person is even saved because they look so different from us and yet by design you were made to be different. The two that I often bring up are the gifts of mercy and prophecy. The gift of mercy is compassion, and I feel you. I feel for you. I just want to take your pain away. And a person with the gift of prophecy just wants you to know what is true, even if it causes you pain. You put those two people in a room together, and the person with the gift of mercy says, why don't you show the grace of Jesus? Do you even know him? And the person with the gift of prophecy says, would you just stop being an enabler? You're just letting them get away with everything. They need to know what the truth is. And yet that is the way Jesus designed the church. We can be different. We don't have to like the same things. We don't have to look the same way. We don't have to sing the same songs in our church. We don't have to use the same version of Scripture. But we do have to love one another. And even that is a misrepresentation of what he's saying, that we have to love one another. The truth is, is that when we know Jesus, we do love one another. It may not be immediate, but it is what wells up within you. So how do we love our enemies? Matthew 7, verse 15 says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Exactly what he was saying in the Sermon of the Mount. There's a different difference between action and the heart. You can fake action, cannot fake the heart. So beware of those people that are coming to you acting one way, but their heart is different. You will recognize them by their fruits. This is such a foundational understanding of the Christian faith. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit. But the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. And what he's literally saying here is the act of loving your enemy is a fruit. But you can't get that fruit off of a diseased heart. So we don't look at this as if, I just need to try harder. Instead, we just need to let Jesus transform us more. Because a good tree bears good fruit. A bad tree bears bad fruit. You can't take a good fruit off of a bad tree. Now that's exactly what the scribes and Pharisees tried to do. They tried to show all the good fruit, but they had the diseased heart. It doesn't work that way. So why do I say that to you? How does that all work together? Gonna, let me just summarize what Jesus is saying in this teaching. What Jesus is saying is, number one, love your enemies as yourself. All right? Love your enemies as yourself. And it's easy to say love your neighbor as yourself. Love your enemies as yourself. So what he's saying, number two, he's saying pray for your enemies, which means ask God to bless them. 
Ask God to bless them. Because the greatest blessing for them is that they will know Christ and their hearts will change. And God's ultimately desire and Jesus' ultimate great commission will be fulfilled and that we will all be one family. Number three, what Jesus is saying is be better than the Pharisees and be fully transformed rather than just trying to force good acts. Give up on just trying to do all the good things. Instead, go to him and say, transform me on the inside. From the inside out, make me different. Number four, what Jesus is saying is, look at the deeper needs. And this is where I really think the rubber meets the road for us that that know Christ but still struggle in this area because we see actions and they, they anger us. Look to the deeper needs of broken people rather than judging them solely by their actions and their misunderstanding of true life. What I mean by that is you have gotten to where you are for a reason, so have they. Your need is for Christ to forgive you of your sins, a wretched sinner. That's also what they need. You did nothing to earn God's favor because you are not good in and of yourself and neither are they. And so when we begin to look at people based on the fact that they have come to this place for a reason, then we can begin to understand their motives. And let's be honest, that's what all of us want other people to do for us. I know I screwed up. I just hope they know what I meant. We all want that. What Jesus is saying is offer that to others that are different from you, that also do atrocious things in the world. For me, I know of no other way to love my enemies than to pray for God to change my heart, to change my mind, and to love through me. Because I see these terrible things and they make me angry. And in those moments, I love Jesus. And I want more than anything not to be angry. But I've not necessarily arrived there yet. So for me, I know of no other way than to ask him to change my heart. And inevitably, when I've practiced this in practical ways of someone that has either hurt me or someone in my family or someone who has trying to say terrible things about me or whatever, I, have, I ask myself a question and I just say, okay, what does it look like to love this person? Probably does not look like a big hug and a big wet kiss. Probably not what it looks like. What does it look like to love this person in this scenario and in this situation? I've never asked that question where God has not given me something to do to show love and I've never prayed that prayer and not felt some sense of peace rather than more enragement all right i find that is one of the keys and i think one of the reasons that he tells us this is that if we can love our enemies we can love anyone and then we will be more like christ so i'll be praying for you as you are struggling with Whoever the enemies are in your life, I don't know what they are, what they've done. I, I don't know what that situation is. But I know it's difficult. I know it's painful. And I do not want you to walk out of this room thinking, oh, well, I'm a bad Christian. Or maybe I'm not even a Christian because I still struggle with that. I, I don't want you walking out of the room thinking that. I want you to walk out of this room asking God to let you see the world differently, to respond to people who are different from you differently, and to change your heart, to transform you to be more like Him. That is what he wants to do, and it is only by the Holy Spirit that we can truly love our enemies. It's not a force of the will. It's a force of God's work in us. We need to be aware that that's what God wants to do in us. Would you pray with me, Father? God, I know we may have hit on some sensitive stuff today, and for some, this is where they're living and what their life looks like, and Lord, I pray that I pray that you would put within us such a desire to mimic you that we can put this stuff aside. We can see the world as you see it. We can also see ourselves that we were once your enemies and that by your grace you loved us and you changed us and that that's possible for anyone in this world. I pray that you would deal with the anger and the hatred that dwells in us just naturally because of our depraved heart. 
that you would also remind us of the power of the Holy Spirit to change our hearts. and To help us to show the world what it looks like to truly know you and to be redeemed and to experience your love by showing them love. I pray that you would give us great wisdom and discernment in those times this week that we are going to have to show love for someone when we don't want to. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to know the ways to love them in that moment, whether it be at work or at home, whether it be extended family members or just someone you run into at the grocery store, that we would be thinking about how do I in this situation show love? God, I thank you for the love that you've given us, that we can now be called your sons and daughters. Ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.